Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tip podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks, and today I'm going to be talking to Sam Stewart, who is a fellow wildlife filmmaker, has done work all over the world, and I'm going to go into that a little bit later on, but first I'm just going to cover a little bit in the news, and I suppose it's a little bit late to the party now, but I want to talk about Tiger King. So if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a show on Netflix, I think it's called Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem and Madness, and that perfectly sums up what this uh, documentary series is about. It sounds like it should be made up, but it's all it's all true, this all happened, and it's about this guy called Joe Exotic, who is this American who lives in Oklahoma, and he has two husbands, he carries a gun around, he's got a, a blonde mullet, he just looks like a kind of cartoon character and he's larger than life and this series is really about how all these Americans have got tigers in captivity and some of them are trying to save them or appear that they're trying to save them and some of them are just breeding them for profit so tigers are only worth money when they're cubs um, for petting they take them to like malls or people pay to come and stroke them but they grow so quickly within a year or so they become worthless and I think they, they make thousands and thousands of dollars out of this so there's a lot of ethical issues because obviously they're only breeding tigers for that and then the adults are, are useless so this park has I think over 200 tigers and lions and he crossbreeds them as well he, he makes ligers these big saber-toothed fucking cat looking things mental creatures um but the series just gets wackier and wackier and wackier. And it's really well shot. It's a great documentary series in, in that sense. I saw a great meme about this series. And it's that one of the employees gets her arm ripped off by a tiger. And that's the least talked about thing in the entire series. And that's so true. So they, they actually show this. Not in graphic detail, but you see the aftermath. And that's not even the craziest thing. I, I don't want to spoil it if you've not watched it. But... It's a bonkers series. I mean, it kind of sets up Joe uh, Joe Exotic and then Carol Baskin, who is this woman who runs another tiger sanctuary. And you think, okay, well, she's the protagonist of this documentary series. And then they muddy the water and they show you things. And you're like, oh, okay. And they also show you other people who do it. Kind of Joe's the main guy in it, but there's other... There's, um, I can't remember his bloody name, Doc Antle, something Bhagavan Doc Antle, something like that. And he's like a cult leader, or he's portrayed as a cult leader. He's got like nine wives, and it is just mental. So if you've not watched Tiger King on Netflix, I highly, highly recommend that you watch that series. And that brings me on nicely to my interview with Sam, uh, not because he has nine wives or he's got tigers, although I think he has got some reindeer, actually, weirdly enough, but he has filmed for Netflix, he filmed for Our Planet, and he's got a few series upcoming. Sam is a professional camera operator, having worked for Netflix, as I mentioned. He's done National Geographic and multiple BBC series. He studied marine and natural history photography down at Falmouth from 2009 to 2012, which is where I met Sam as we were on the same year on the same course. So Sam, thanks for joining me. Uh, first of all, how are you coping with, with all the self-isolating and what are you doing to pass the time? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's a pretty strange strange time out there in the world in in the world as a whole and also you know more specifically in our industry you know being people who spend our lives mostly outside looking at nature wildlife landscapes to now be cooped up inside is uh quite bizarre um i personally am quite 
uh, a big kind of fitness enthusiast. So I'm using my one outing a day to make use of um, the local park here to run, to cycle, anything like that. Um, and just to try and immerse myself in as much nature and wildlife as possible in, in a short time, trying to do whatever I can to hear the blackbirds singing in the morning or um, that kind of thing. Just trying to make use and appreciate the very small things which maybe I would have taken for granted before. Now they're even more special. Have you have you got a garden? Have you got a garden where you are? No, we don't have a garden. We've got a, a really small balcony that's like a metre wide and about two meters long and on that i'm growing as much vegetables as i possibly can in a kind of vertical ladder garden um yeah get get ready for when the shit hits the fan because you know yeah. we're <laughs> all the food exactly. we can get kind of preparing for the apocalypse um and then only 20 meters from our front door we've got pool park which is kind of a big open expanse of of gardens lakes um kind of a cycle path through there so there's big mature oaks in there with all sorts of birds and, and when you spend a bit of time there you can really see some amazing stuff just right on the doorstep so we are really lucky in that respect yeah well slightly off topic but i was talking about this um in your introduction which you wouldn't have heard but mentioning because you've done work with netflix and all the rage on netflix at the moment is tiger king so i just wanted to ask firstly have you watched it i have watched it yeah and what, what are your thoughts? Are you seeing the whole thing? You, you're caught up. Seen the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts, um, I, I mean, ugh, confusion. Um, what a bizarre series. Uh, I'm in a slightly unique position, I guess, in that I've just, I've recently spent four months in India filming Tigers um, across two different trips. So, I've spent a lot of time filming them in their in their wild kind of habitat and environment and natural behaviour. And then to see Tiger King, um, I just don't know how to describe it. I it's 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 so batsh- bizarre. <laughs> it's batshit crazy, is what it is. <laughs> it is. It is totally batshit crazy. And just to see those animals, you know, in cages, in captivity is just so wrong on so many levels you know it's one thing to pet them and you know they're not necessarily they don't look like they're aggressive and they're not attacking people they are pretty chilled in the documentary but it does not make it right and when you see a tiger in its natural habitat covering 50 square kilometers in no time at all and just being a a wild animal and then to see them on tv in america and to to see that there's 12, 13,000 tigers in America and only 3,000 odd in the wild. It's just, yeah, it's nuts. It's so wrong. Yeah, that, that stat really surprised me. I didn't realise how few there were in the wild. And then they, they go about all these, uh, and they, they crossbreed them as well, don't they? The, the ligers. Yeah, ligers and, and oh, all sorts. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. But yeah, I just want to get your quick opinion on that. But we'll get on topic of what we're here to talk about. So uh we we were at uni together we were there from as i mentioned 2009 to 2012 and just talk me through so you left falmouth you went you went back home to dorset didn't you first and then what did you do to kind of get the the ball rolling so to speak with a filmmaking career yeah so um i left like you said left uni in 2012 and right at that time um i think from kind of mid 2012 onwards was a bbc series being 
filmed in Great Britain, all about Britain through the year, basically. It was it was called The Great British Year when it finally broadcast in 2013, I think it went out. So right as we left uni, there was this series being made. And if if you kind of got to know the right people, which was only a handful who were working on it, there was this massive need for kind of young, cheap camera operators who were willing to just put in the hours with various different cameras all over the place, wherever they were, wherever their local stories were. And, you know, a few of us really hopped on that and made our, got our first kind of foot in the door on that programme. Um, I I had been studying Grey Seals whilst at, at Falmouth for my third year project, so was able to use that as my very first foot in the door with the Great British Year, and I, I helped assisting and carrying boxes and that kind of thing, and then from there moved on to um, a few other subjects here in Dorset, all on my local patch, which I knew. Um, and from there, that was kind of the first experience of, of work as a camera uh, in the camera world, I guess you could say. I wasn't necessarily a cameraman. I was assisting or or doing whatever I could like that. Um, and the next step, it was all quite linear, really. One of the cameramen I worked with just for a couple of days on the Great British Year, um, Simon King, I ended up working with him off the back of off that assisting. I He ended up calling me and saying, you know, do you want a job, a full-time job? So I went from a few days assisting here and there to about 18 months worth full time with Simon, where we were doing lots of mini cams in nests and nest boxes and putting cameras on the river at night to film otters and all sorts of um, stuff, all of which I'd never done before. It was a completely different world using remote cameras and that kind of thing. Um, and so once I was, you know, really pushing then I was really driving towards it trying to make as much contacts as I could um, outside of uh, the industry inside the industry anything that was related to animals nature conservation anything like that and then pushing more and more into tv world so when I finished working with Simon um, I started working on a few independent wildlife films that were being made in the UK um, and then uh, yeah, just each job trying to step up the ladder in some way or another, uh, often zigzagging all over the place, but in some way going up or pushing towards that dream of being a cameraman. Yeah, it's it's not a and quick and easy route, is it? No, it's not quick and easy. It You know, it can be. Um, on paper, it's quite quick and easy. You know, you write down, you need to get, you know... The, good at being a, a cameraman, good at wildlife and Bob's your uncle. But in reality, it takes years and years. I mean, I never took my foot off the gas for like six years and um, and it takes a long time. And that's just to break into the very early entry level part of the industry. Um, it, it does take a long time, a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's not. It's, uh, it is a tricky thing to, to do, certainly. Um, I guess... Certainly when I look back at Falmouth and when I've seen subsequent years, it seems that everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people just go straight to Bristol and they seem that, you know, kind of Bristol's like Falmouth 2.0, the, the big the big city. So, and I often think about this myself, where like, do you have to, if you want to be a wildlife filmmaker or in the industry, not necessarily filming, but editing or whatever, do you have to go to Bristol? Or I guess what I'm asking is what is the advantage or, or is there a disadvantage to going there? It's a very interesting question and one that I've uh, 
thought about lots over the years and thought so much about that I did end up moving from Dorset to Bristol in 2016. So I'd been out out of Falmouth for four years. I'd worked on various different projects. Um, I'd never done a kind of a broad shoot. I'd never done anything like that at this point. And I thought, right, to get further, I need to move to Bristol. So I, I got a place, um, just a, a rental place in Bristol, right in the heart about 500 meters max from the BBC, right next to all the independents. And I thought this is going to be brilliant. So what it gives you is it puts you in the right position to to really quickly respond to meetings. If, if you if you email someone and they say, oh, can you meet for, at nine o'clock? You can be there instantly. You can you can drop everything and go and, and you can be at every single event. If there's a film screening, if there's a talk, if there's a um, a networking morning, anything like that, you can be there. You don't have to miss any of those things if you live in Bristol. Um, and you also get the opportunity to maybe bump into people in the street if you know who they are and you see them walking down the road. It happens quite a lot because everyone is... Yeah, in one you just, you're just in the local kebabby at three in the morning and David Attenborough walks exactly. in or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens often. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the only downside I could find was that even though you're in Bristol and you're 500 metres from the BBC, you're still sat in your mouldy, damp basement flat emailing people that are just down the road, but you're still having to email them. You're still not face-to-face necessarily. And you can send that email from anywhere. You could be, you can be in Dorset, you could be anywhere, and you're still contacting people the same way. You're still putting yourself out there. You're still editing your showreel, doing your website, doing your social media, and you you could be anywhere for that. So I found I did get work that year whilst living in Bristol, but the very first um, kind of phone call I had was was kind of someone saying. Um, are you, where are you based then? When they called me, where, where, whereabouts are you based? And I was like, well, I'm based like 200 meters up the road. It wasn't, they'd found out about me, not through me living in Bristol. So even though I was there and I did get work, it wasn't directly because I lived in Bristol. You can definitely make it work if you don't live in Bristol. Um, you have to put in more time. I regularly get up here at five in the morning in Dorset and will drive and be in a meeting in Bristol at nine o'clock, having parked and walk, you know, I have to do that regularly and it's part of I've accepted that it's it's going to be it's going to be something I do a lot it's get up drive to Bristol come back late at night whatever but I can spend time down here um, I'm still sending emails I'm still doing all of that work um, that I would be if I lived in Bristol and I'll still make it to any of the if there's an event I really want to go to I'll still do all I can to be there but home is Dorset for me home isn't Bristol at the moment and uh, so I'm going to try and try my hardest to make it work whilst living at home. I mean I got a great bit of advice from a a producer a few years ago Um, John John McIntyre I think his name was and he said you need to kind of work out what's going to be more beneficial either living in Bristol or living near your subject if you like because I I toyed with moving to Bristol because I'm based in Nottingham and I just thought, well, I could go to Bristol, but there's going to be a hundred other people trying to do what I'm trying to do. Or not specifically what I'm doing, but trying to do wildlife filmmaking. And I thought I'd be better off working local and where there's lots of rivers, where there isn't many people doing it and just putting my work out. So I kind of went down that route. Um, and I think you're right. Yeah. You, you're yeah. not, I'm not completely in the know. I don't know everything that's going on, 
but because I've I've got the odd contact here and there, I'm still kind of in the loop, not fully, but enough that I still get work um, work out of it. So, yeah, I think everyone's kind of obsessed with you've got to go to Bristol and that, that's the end of the world. But um, I don't I don't think it's the case. You know, it's going to open some doors, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it work. Um, no matter where you are in the UK, really. Exactly. There's, um, you know, for every uh, camera person who's made it work living in Bristol, of which there are lots who live in Bristol, who live around Bristol, and they're all super successful, there is also a lot of people who don't live in Bristol. There's lots of people who live in in Scotland, you know, in the highlands of Scotland. There's people who live all over the UK, Um and you make it work. And with technology nowadays, you you know you're in the same room as someone, even if you're on the other side of the world. Um, so you can you can make it work. It takes a, a different set of um, procedures, but it can be done. And if you're happier somewhere, it's not so much when you're when you're on shoot. You know it doesn't make any difference. But when you're home from a shoot and you've been away for two months and you come back and you can be somewhere that you want to be in the UK for that one week that you've got at home. Um, if that's important to you, then then make it somewhere you want to live. It doesn't have to be Bristol just because people tell it tell you you have to live there. You can make it work if you don't live there for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I very nearly moved to Bristol. Um, I think it was two years after we we finished uni because I got an interview with Icon to work on River Monsters, and I went in to do that, and I was re- like really excited for it. But it was just as uh, Emma, my fiance, was moving in with me, so I had to choose between basically leaving her and going to Bristol for River Monsters, or living with right, her in right. Knots. And uh, stupidly, I chose my fiance. Really, but thinking yeah. about it, I should have should have gone for River Monsters. Really, <laughs> but, but no, I don't. I don't regret it really. But I do think sometimes, like, oh, I could have been doing that, but it worked out all yeah. right in the end. <laughs> exactly, everything always does work out in some way or another. I really liked my year living in Bristol. I don't. It was amazing. You know, it was great fun, and it's an amazing city. Um, and actually, if it hadn't have been for this industry, I'd never have spent a year living in Bristol. You know, I've never, I'd never been there before really until I started pushing into this industry. So yeah, great opportunity. And if if you're a city person and you want to get into this world, then it's, you know, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, hundred percent. So. I was I had a look on your website last night because I haven't um, I don't regularly stalk you so I thought I'll just look on Sam's website before we do this but I was trying to work out if you had a specialty because I know some cameramen so for example obviously everyone kind of pigeonholes me with, with freshwater fish and I thought what would Sam's specialty be and I was looking on your site and you seem to have a a bit of everything so do mm. you think that you you're better off specialising or do you think it's better to do a little bit of everything? A bit of both. It's a really hard question to answer. Um, I'll talk from my my perspective, my point of view, and what's happened to me. It's almost like I've been able to be really broad, and um, I feel like it's gone. I've, I'm really happy with it. I've done. I got lucky with opportunities in really cold places, so down to like mid minus fifties. I've had opportunities in the desert where it's been fifty degrees C you know completely different set of challenges i got sent for the first time to the amazon rainforest and um i've also did a lot of diving whilst at uni and, and the years after uni so i've got kind of quite a broad set of i wouldn't say skills but definitely experience which um 
has helped with getting kind of jobs that um, you never really know what's going to come of it. I've been sent on quite a few jobs which are slightly unpredictable and it's kind of like go there and see what see what it, you come back with, um, which is great. So I've been able to kind of maintain that um, varied set of skills. Some people do get pigeonholed really early and I, I think it's a good thing. You know, some people are absolute experts at aerials, at time lapses, that kind of thing, and they produce absolute magic. Um, and I've been, yeah, pretty varied. I've recently been moving more into kind of uh, Cineflex, GSS style moving shots. So you're putting a 50 to a 1,000 inside a gimbal and, and driving with it attached to the front of the car. And it's a whole new set of skills. Um, again, I, I didn't, I haven't done that much of it, but people have kind of, I've done enough for people to have taken a bit of a, punt with me and I've therefore built up my hours more and more and more so um, that's a whole new world for me that kind of cinematic proper moving stuff um, so the hard thing now is trying to keep it all up you know trying to keep my diving hours up trying to keep my drone hours up the GSS uh, trying to stay fit so if it's a hiking shoot that comes up I can do it trying to stay um, you know all sorts of things there's so many things you have to work on the whole time yeah, because obviously, like with the fish with me, like I um I don't mind uh, being specialised a bit because if there's a fish shoot, normally my my name's at least thrown in the hat. I don't necessarily get everything, but I'm mentioned with it. Um, so it is a double-edged sword because I'd love to do other stuff, but often my name's not really thought of for that. But I guess you know it's it's a it's a hard one to do. I don't regret it. I love I love the stuff I do. So yeah, I think it is a good it is a good move. You know, with me, what I think. I don't know what happens, but you know, if there's a time lapse shoot that comes up, I'm, there's no way I'll get it. If there's a specific drone shoot that comes up, it's probably unlikely I'll get it. If there's a just a GSS shoot, I'm probably not going to get it. You know, there's people out there better at all of those things. Um, if there's a shoot that's like, you know, a, a varied long lens gimbal drone maybe some time lapse who knows what's going to happen we just need someone who can do all of it then maybe my hat will be in the my name will be in the hat um so it's there's definitely benefits to specializing and benefits to not specializing um yeah you just have to keep your finger on the pulse as to what's being made and what your skills may be best lent to really yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense so you mentioned that you've been to kind of very cold places you've been to very, you know, deserts, underwater. Is there a shoot that stands out for you? There is definitely a shoot that stands out for me. Unfortunately, I hate to be this guy, but it's one of these ones where um, it hasn't broadcast yet. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. So, yeah, it's one of these ones. <laughs> I, I hate the whole, oh, sorry, I can't talk about it thing. But um, there is a series coming out on BBC One this year that has been announced now called uh, Perfect Planet. And... Um, it is a shoot that we did for that, which will be, I think, a highlight shoot. Um, you know, one of my highlights probably forever. And I'm saying that, I think, quite early on in my career. Um, and I will definitely talk about it more in, in, in future. It was nuts on so many levels. One of the most kind of extreme environments I've ever been to. Um, so, Are they so... doing the, um, the bit at the end where the cameraman, you show the cameraman shooting the, the scene? Yeah, there will be a making of, yeah, whether or not um, 
my pretty face features, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, another sheet that I can think of just, uh, you know, off the top of my head was this. Uh, it's, it has broadcast on, on Netflix. It's called Dancing with the Birds. It's a, a film all about birds of paradise. And um, I, I still can't really believe that I was allowed to work on it. But yeah, I got, got to go to to New Guinea for two months in September 2018. So spent two months in the highlands of New Guinea in a tent, basically, with a really small team of, of people from Bristol, just three of, or four of us from Bristol, um, and spent all day, every day in a hide from kind of six in the morning till six in the evening, uh, completely in solitary confinement, just, just me on my own, basically, in a hide all day. It was a weird experience, but to film uh, one of the birds that I was filming is kind of, it has been filmed before, but not really with a long lens and not really with anything other than a remote camera. So only got it a handful of times, only saw the bird a few times in two months, but um, yeah, it's so rewarding. And then to see it come up on Netflix. Now, when I sat, sit down at home in isolation, turn the TV on, turn Netflix on and up comes my dancing with the birds icon is, is super surreal. Yeah. Really surreal. How oh, awesome, buddy. Well, a lot of the stuff you do now is abroad, uh, but obviously, you know, we're here in the UK. Is is there a UK subject that you'd like to do that maybe you haven't done or you'd like to do more with? I'd definitely like to do more, um, more otters, only because I love them, not because, you know, they've been, they've had some serious talent work on otters. Charlie Hamilton James, Josh Jagged, for example. You know, there's some seriously amazing people out there who have got some extraordinary stuff. I just love them and would love to do more of them. Um, uh, any, yeah, there's so much I, I haven't done or really even spent time watching in the UK. There's still, there's sea eagles that have just been released in the Isle of Wight. Um, so not far from here. Yeah. Um, well, Dor Dorset's a great county as well. We've got Ospreys moving into Pool Harbour. You've got so much in Dorset, so haven't you? So yeah, so much. Got all six species of of native British reptile here. We've got some amazing birds of prey. Um, we've got hen harriers. The sea eagles probably will be moving into this area very soon from the Isle of Wight. There's ospreys move through here regularly. Um, I found a a big carp that had been dragged out of the one of the lakes here in Pool Park with all its insides eaten. So I'm almost certain it was an otter. Um, so they're here. Um, don't have to go too far to get to Pool Harbour where there's just wading birds everywhere. So it's such a rich area. Um, and I do have time to work on on projects here if I wanted to. I tend to find that when I get back from a long shoot, just, just going out and watching it, walking in the Purbeck Hills. And I tend to kind of just try and appreciate it as opposed to... I, I suppose what people around. don't realise um, with what we do is that it is nice to have a break from it. Even though we love our jobs, that sometimes it's nice, like you say, to just take some binoculars or, or just to, to watch the animals. Because it's. I always feel it feels like work if I take my camera out, even if I'm not doing a paid shoot it still feels like work. So sometimes yeah. Yeah, I'll just go out and I'll just enjoy it without a camera. What I often think about is when you're away on a shoot and you're filming something extraordinary, you are still watching it normally with one eye on a one by one inch screen down a viewfinder. Um, you know, so you're literally seeing all of this stuff like that. So to be able to, to kind of 
kick back a little bit and to be at home just watching everything with both eyes full senses working and and really take it in is is a luxury really yeah no i'd agree with that um i'm going to end on this last question anyway which is basically if you had one bit of advice uh if there's anyone who's thinking about getting into the industry is there anything that you would uh kind of advise them um it would definitely be to to make um if there's no obvious way in immediately i.e if you haven't got any kind of direct contacts or or prior experience if it's if you're starting fresh is to is to try and make a film on something um no matter what it's on if it's pigeons in the local park or just shoot something um because it, you've then got something to show people when you try and go to meet people and you haven't got any stuff to show then you're not putting yourself in a very good position however whatever camera you're using whatever it is just shoot something then you've got content to show to producers to magazines whoever you're trying to work for you have to be able to show them something and I think it's a mistake that I definitely made in the early days not having anything to show people when I went to meet with them like how are they ever going to employ you if they don't know what you can do um it's also just good practice filming something but to actually get out there and and use a camera is the biggest bit of advice um and your images will always sell you in theory hopefully <laughs> hopefully yeah uh still, well still trying to get to that stage yeah definitely <laughs> well look i just want to say uh thanks for taking the time to talk to me buddy uh and stay no safe yeah thanks for having me yeah cool. speak soon cheers that was me and sam talking earlier so i'm now going to go on to nature reserve of the week and seeing as Sam's from Dorset, I thought it would be only fair to have a Dorset reserve, and that's going to be RSPB Arn. So it's 564 hectares, and it is an incredible reserve. It's got everything from ancient oak woodland, farmland, reed beds, mud flats, acid grassland, and heathland. You name it, it's one of the most biodiverse places in the entire country, and it's my favourite nature reserve. So I'm trying not to be too biased, but it is absolutely spectacular. And it's one of those old-fashioned nature reserves because you don't really go there for the visitor centre. They have got a little bit of a centre where you can pop to the loo and, and go to the toilet or whatever. But it, you're going there for the wildlife and there is some cracking wildlife. If you're a birder, things like Spoonbill, Nightjar, kind of heathland specialist. You've also got Dartford Warbler, which in 1965 it only had two pairs. Whereas you fast forward to today, there's over 70. So that's one of the real success stories of the reserve. Of course, ospreys use it on their migration path and they're trying to encourage ospreys in the wider pool uh, pool area to, to breed. And you've got Pool Harbour overlooking Arne, so you've got lots of marine species coming in uh, to the side of the reserve as well. But although it's probably best known for its heathland habitat and for, its, and for having interesting birds, I would say that it's the mini species that really stand out. It's got all six reptiles, all six native reptiles in the UK, slow worm, common lizard, sand lizard, smooth snake, adder and grass snake. You've got a, a chance of seeing them all. Not a great chance, but you've got a chance. Um, I think I've seen all of them there. So it's it's, it's one, of, one of the best places in the country to go see that. And not only reptiles, but invertebrates. It's incredibly diverse. Vertebrates, mostly fruits arachnids. So ladybird spider, which are nationally very rare. Very, very vibrant looking spider. Unsurprisingly, it looks a bit like a ladybird. 
wasp spiders, you know, these vibrant yellows, beautiful stripes over them, big chunky things that you'll find up on the heathland. And one of our largest native spiders, the raft spider. And you'll see these on the ponds around the reserve and they'll just be sat there motionless. They don't have a web, they just wait for prey to fall on the water and they'll go out and grab them. So really, really good place to see that. And even mammals like seeker deer, which obviously aren't native, don't really want to encourage them elsewhere, but there's loads in pool and around the Arm Peninsula. They're pretty common. So if you want to kind of see a different mammal species, then Arn is absolutely brilliant for that. So I'd highly recommend it. In terms of accessibility, it's a very big reserve. You're not going to be able to do it all in a day. Um, walking around it, for the most part, is relatively easy. But again, if you can't walk very far, just be aware that um, it's quite open and particularly in the summer, which is when I normally go, you can get very, very warm. The, the heathland acts like a big heat sponge. So just bear in mind, again, take some water with you and just, just take it easy. There are hides around the reserve um, that you can go and watch the wildlife. Again, I wouldn't say any of them was particularly brilliant for photography, but if you want to see the birds, uh, for some of the birds, then they're pretty pretty good for that. So particularly in August, uh, with, with the heather turning purple, it, it is spectacular. So if you get a chance, visit Arn. So that brings me to my, my final thoughts and any questions. And I got a, a question from Greg Milner from Instagram. And he says, I see you're doing a lot of stock footage. Could you talk about that in terms of wildlife footage? Um, I'm going to do a podcast specifically on this. So I won't mention too much now, but I, I sell a little bit of, of still stock. Not as much. That kind of market's collapsed largely. But I do sell a fair amount of video stock. But I'm going to do a specific podcast on that. So... Um, yeah, I'm not going to answer that now. We'll go into that another day, Greg. But yeah, thanks for sending that in. And as I say, if you've got questions, can be about upcoming podcasts, can be just anything, then then we'll go through those. So I think it was great to hear what Sam has has done throughout all of his work. He's obviously really tried hard for what he's done and, he, and he's been very successful in what he's done. So I think that's absolutely brilliant. In tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to be looking at an archival bit of footage which is me talking to Bryden Thomason in Shetland, and we're going to be going through otters, some of how to photograph them, just some of the life history of them. So yeah, catch that tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and cheers.